The story of the Valley of the Dry Bones is traditionally read in synagogues on the Sabbath of Passover, because Passover was for Jews the original Israelite moment of national resurrection. The Valley of the Dry Bones was therefore the Haftarah read by the Jews in America on the Sabbath of Passover, on the very day that Lincoln died. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 172, When Lincoln Passed Away on Passover. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In appreciating the connection between our passages in Ezekiel and American history, we must set the stage by describing the week before Abraham Lincoln died. On Sunday, April 9, 1865, Lee surrendered to Grant at Appomattox. Many Jewish Americans would have heard the news on April 10th, which was the morning before the eight-day Passover holiday was about to begin. As I discussed in an article in the Weekly Standard, we can imagine the elegant symmetry that the Jews sympathetic to the Union would have seen at that moment with the Festival of Freedom joined with Union victory and the endurance of the American idea. After all, as Rabbi Jonathan Sachs once put it, quote, civil religion has the same relationship to the United States as Pesach does to the Jewish people. It is first and foremost not a philosophy, but a story. It tells of how a persecuted group escaped from the old world and made a hazardous journey to an unknown land, there to construct a new society in Lincoln's words, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Like the Pesach story, it must be told repeatedly as it is in every inaugural address. It defines the nation not merely in terms of its past, but also as a moral, spiritual commitment to the future. It is no accident, Rabbi Sachs continued, that the founders of America turned to the Hebrew Bible, or that successive presidents have done likewise, because there is no other text in Western literature that draws these themes. Israel, ancient and modern, and the United States are the two supreme examples of societies constructed in conscious pursuit of an idea. End quote. A civil war coming to a close as Pesach, Passover, dawned. It must have seemed incredibly apt. But this Passover was not to be as joyous as many Jewish Americans would have assumed. Because it was later that week, on Friday evening, that the President of the United States joined a joyful Washington for an evening of entertainment at Ford's Theater. There he was shot and taken to Peterson's boarding house nearby. He passed away Saturday morning. The news broke all over the country, and observant Jews would have heard the terrible tidings from other Americans as they proceeded to synagogue for the services of Sabbath during Passover. Bertram Korn, in his book American Jewry in the Civil War, describes the scene. Quote, Jews who had not planned on attending services hastened to join their brethren in the sanctuaries, where they could find comfort in the hour of grief. The rabbis put their sermons aside and spoke extemporaneously, haltingly, reaching out for the words to express their deep sorrow, end quote. In Isaac Markin's book, Lincoln and the Jews, we are also informed that, quote, in the manifestation of the public grief following the death of President Lincoln, which event arrested the daily concerns of the whole civilized world, the Jews everywhere were prominent. Occurring as it did on the Jewish Sabbath, the first pulpit utterances were heard in the synagogues, end quote. In truth, a reflection on what occurred in synagogues on that day leads us to an appreciation of how Ezekiel, the prophet we are pondering, impacted Abraham Lincoln in a fascinating and enduring manner. Throughout Bible 365, we have suggested that the American propensity for biblically inspired oratory found its most profound practitioner in Abraham Lincoln. And the manner in which Ezekiel inspired the 16th president is brilliantly discussed in an article by Matthew Holbreich and Dana Petronovic. The authors note that even before the Civil War, Lincoln drew on biblical imagery in order to criticize slavery. Thus, for example, in his eulogy for Henry Clay in 1852, 
Lincoln reflected that, quote, Pharaoh's country was cursed with plagues and his hosts were drowned in the Red Sea for striving to retain a captive people who already served them more than 400 years. May like disasters never befall us, end quote. The historian's most interesting analysis emerges from a study of one of the most famous addresses of Lincoln's life, his House Divided speech, delivered when he accepted the nomination of the Republican Party for Senate. Therein, Lincoln reflected on the political party that had come into being just recently, created to fight slavery. Lincoln said, quote, Two years ago, the Republicans of the nation mustered over 1,300,000 strong. We did this under the single impulse of resistance to a common danger, with every external circumstance against us, of strange, discordant, and even hostile elements. We gathered from the four winds and formed and fought the battle through under the constant hot fire of a disciplined, proud, and pampered army. Did we brave all then to falter now? Now, when that same enemy is wavering, dissevered, and belligerent? The result is not doubtful. We shall not fail. If we stand firm, we shall not fail. We gathered from the four winds, says Lincoln. As Holbrush and Petronovich note, this reference to the four winds is itself biblical, a reference to the story in Ezekiel that we have been studying, where the prophet sees a field full of dry bones, a symbol of Israel's loss of hope after the destruction. Let us review the relevant verses again. Chapter 37, verse 3. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army, an army brought to life from the four winds. This is the biblical description. Thus, when Lincoln describes the gathering of the Republican Party from the four winds, he is deliberately referencing this verse from Ezekiel, the spirit that emerged from the four winds and brought about a resurrection. In invoking this image, Holbreich and Petronovich write, quote, pairs the Republican Party to a great army that will, as in Ezekiel, liberate Israel, meaning end slavery. The story of the resurrection of the dry bones represented to Lincoln a rebirth of the Declaration's principles, what he would later call a new birth of freedom which he predicted that his party would bring to America, end quote. This is insightful. And as I noted in the Weekly Standard, there is more to add here. The story of the Valley of the Dry Bones is traditionally read in synagogues on the Sabbath of Passover, because Passover was for Jews the original Israelite moment of national resurrection. It was Israel's first birth of freedom. The Valley of the Dry Bones was therefore the Haftarah read by the Jews in America on the Sabbath of Passover on the very day that Lincoln died. And there is more. As Holbreich and Petronovich further argue in their article, Lincoln's original reference to Ezekiel 37 was even more deliberate than we might immediately realize. Because immediately after the prophet's vision of the resurrected dry bones, another message is given to him. Verse 15. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before their eyes. 
Two sticks bearing the names of Ephraim and Judah becoming one. The reference here is to the two kingdoms of Israel, which was divided north and south for much of the first temple period. The vision of the prophet is of a united country in the time to come. Thus God concludes in verse 22, And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall be no more two nations. Neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Holbrecht and Petronovich argue that Lincoln, inciting from the Four Winds passage of Ezekiel 37, is also referencing implicitly what follows, a discussion of a division within a country within a nation that must be healed, but which can only be healed through a spiritual and moral regeneration. Lincoln is hopefully describing the new anti-slavery party which he has joined as one that will bring about an ethical resurrection that would ultimately unite North and South, or as Holbrecht and Petronovich put it, quote, Lincoln's biblical citation clearly reveals his purpose, to unify the nation purified of the sin of slavery under the banner of freedom, end quote. Indeed, as I would further note, Lincoln began his house divided speech with a plain and forceful statement, quote, I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall, but I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest the further spread of it and place it where the public mind shall rest in the belief that it is in the course of ultimate extinction, or its advocates will push it forward till it shall become alike lawful in all the states, old as well as new, north as well as south. End quote. Lincoln, then, is looking forward and stating his intention to work toward the abolition of slavery through all of America, north and south. For Holbrecht and Petronovich, the reference to Ezekiel is an important sign and signal of Lincoln's ultimate intention of the abolition of slavery when he was still a candidate for Senate. They argue that even at this point in his career, quote, Lincoln's intentions were not so deeply veiled, nor his allusions so obscure, that his critics did not perceive his true position. Right after the House divided speech, he was in fact accused of wanting to destroy slavery in the South, end quote. And these scholars further note that, quote, Lincoln's constant return to Ezekiel, especially in a speech as significant and provocative as this one, reveals the structure of Lincoln's moral and political imagination. Lincoln envisioned the eradication of slavery in terms of a moral resurrection, end quote. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we are now able to ponder the poignancy of having the Valley of the Dry Bones, Ezekiel 37, the vision of the Spirit of the Four Winds, read on the day that Lincoln died by Jews across America. A re-elected president who had expended his political capital to pass the 13th Amendment abolishing slavery is now remembered by Jews on the Festival of Freedom. And for us, studying Ezekiel, a president who placed biblical ideas at the heart of his wartime speeches is now revealed to have done so even before the Civil War, deepening our own appreciation of his legacy, inspiring us to work so that it will please God, not soon perish from the earth. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together next week. Wishing you Shabbat Shalom. Signing off.